ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film or a book and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. I'm Pastor Emily and I am the All Father. I love it. My my name is <laughs> Pace Warfield and I am the inexplicable fear of fire that Frankenstein's monster has. Uh, my name is Steve Case. I am the author, and I have been pretty much shaped like the Frankenstein monster since I was 13. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, listeners, uh, follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash horror nerds at church for the video of today's episode. It's only $5 to sign up, so much cheaper than grave robbing and building your own monster, Frankenstein's monster. monster. <laughs> and Doing so, you can get exclusive access to hours of bonus content, including BooTube episodes about TV shows, movie commentaries, bonus episodes, and more. For our book mini-season, you do not have to have read the book to follow along. We won't reveal major spoilers without warning, um, but instead, listening is a chance to get some flavor of the books, some of the lore in them, and what kind of treasures await if you pick up the book yourself from your local bookshop or library. So we are excited about, I'm super excited about this. This right? is like, oh my, <laughs> really good, like Halloween timing, perfect, spooky season timing, but also <laughs> the combination, like, we're literally called Horror Nerds at Church. And so the combination of horror and monster and Frankenstein and Book of Prayer is amazing. Yes. Um, so. That is literally how I found you. I was going through podcasts, looking for places I could send the book, and typed in horror and nerds, and you guys came up. It's like, it couldn't couldn't be better. Right. That is fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, so we have as our guest Steve Case, who wrote, literally wrote the book. Um, he was born and raised in Northeast Ohio moved to Orlando, Florida about 20 years ago, and now resides in North Carolina. Um, Steve was a youth pastor for 35 years with several different denominations and is licensed and commissioned with the United Church of Christ. Steve has actually written more than 45 books, most of its curriculum, and everything from analysis of the writings of a 17th century monk. Which one? A Brother Lawrence. The okay, Practice Brother of the Presence. Lawrence. Nice. Ah, and then followed it up with a few books of fart jokes. Biblical fart jokes. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. even better. Yes, the, the the great moments in biblical flatulence is, is is the one that seems to be doing better than the others. But <laughs> I love it. it was the original, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is fantastic. That is such a wide variety of... <laughs> Well, Books yeah, I writing. I found I have to do that for my own the way my own brain works. I can't, you know, I can't just stay t 
totally focused on the serious. I have to flip back and forth. Otherwise, you know, I would just go nuts. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's I have similar things when it comes to like the work that I do. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And to be clear, when uh, Emily said that we have the author of the book, Frankenstein Book of Prayer, we mean the book Frankenstein Book of Prayer, which I have a copy of right here. So cool. Not the original <laughs> Frankenstein, as much as I would love to create a seance and invite Mary Shelley to our podcast. I mean, I'm not we quite could sure do... she'd be willing could... to join. We could try some Mary Shelley necromancy. Right. Ooh, That'd be the okay. worst thing. <laughs> yes, I did mean the Frankenstein Book of Prayer. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So a cu- we do have a couple announcements for our podcast listeners. Um, the pet costume contest is still open. Submissions are open until October 27th. So if you have a pet, a plant, a stuffed animal, honestly a drawing, I could enter the beholder right. and I would be okay with it, except that I'm one of the judges, so I won't. Um, the beholder is a visual for you Patreon folks. Um so you are welcome to submit anything you want. If you have multiple pets, you can submit them separately or yep. together. Um, and then we'll give you probably 48-ish hours to vote afterwards. And we'll have everybody vote. And then we will do a live announcement of the winner on Halloween. And a reminder that if you win, you get one of the books we've covered this season. Free merch. A uh, free merch um, and the runner-up will receive a book and a sticker from the merch store. And a random, one random entry from all of them, whether you're one of the top two, gets the game Horror Trivia. So, right here. Super exciting. Yep, yep. And you can submit just by emailing horrornerds at church at gmail.com. In the years past, I made like a complicated Google form and stuff. But this year, keeping it easy, just email us a picture of your pet. And we'll count that as your submission or your plant or mm-hmm. your stuffed animal or your drawing or whatever. <laughs> Basically, we just want you to submit something because it's fun. Yep. That's where we go. Yeah. And then the only other announcement I have is I think this is the first time we're actually mentioning it on, mentioning it on air for everybody to hear. But our season six, which has been postponed indefinitely because the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes... We now have tentatively scheduled to start in mm-hmm. January. Now that resolutions are looking like they're imminent, I know there's been a recent setback, but um, we're aiming for January. So hopefully, if things continue to resolve, we will start our Star Wars and Alien season for you in, with the advent of the new year. And we've been working hard on it in the background anyway. So no matter what is happening, yep. it's just the timing we need the amtpt to get their shit together basically (laughs) pretty much yeah Yeah. so um but as emily said we have steve case with us today and i am so excited to get a chance to talk to you because in our email exchange ahead of time after you had submitted your bio i was like there's no way that this is the same steve case that wrote the book of uncommon prayer which i have used many times when i used to do youth ministry and I so I built up the courage and I asked, and you're like, "Yep, that's me." So it's like, <laughs> that would be me. It's just so fantastic mm. to have you on for a variety of reasons. Oh, thank um, you. 
but uh, one of the questions we ask all of our guests on the show is if you have a real life church horror story it can be a paranormal horror story we've had many hauntings in church buildings we've even had a few exorcism stories but more often than not it's just church people being shitty and awful to each other which <laughs> seems to be the case whenever yeah. we have community you know yeah <laughs> So it's almost uh, like we're all human and we mess up. Right. Oh, my, my, my mother, my mother said she never learned to swear until she went to work for a church. So. Wow. I've, that is. That has yeah. been true. So. Yeah. Uh, but let's see. Uh, I, I, in, when I was in college, I was a uh, church custodian, you know, for, for a number of years. And it, it was, it was a good gig because you show up in the evening, you unlock, you set up for the meetings, and then they give you an office. You can just sit and, and study for, you know, for a couple hours and people leave and then you lock up and go home. It was, and, uh, I, there was one evening where I was working and I could hear the church organist practicing in the sanctuary, which she had, has done many, had done many times. And it was the end of the evening. It was about 10 o'clock and I'm locking up and shutting off lights and I can still hear her practicing. I thought I better let her know she's alone in the building that I'm locking up. And so she knows. So I went down to the sanctuary. It was a big old church. And as the moment, the moment my hand hit the doorknob of the sanctuary door, she quit playing. It was silent. And I opened the door and it was dark and there was nobody there, and she hadn't been there at all, and there had been no music up until the moment I put my hand on the doorknob, and I just sort of slowly <laughs> closed the door, and I went home. It was like, no, yeah. I don't need this. Uh, yeah. Wow. Ah, yes. Wow. That is so creepy. Very creepy. <laughs> and not surprising. Like, that, I was like, Oh, when you said once I put the door on. Yeah, door. and if you want a regular horror story, I let's see. I first moved to Florida. I, I got to work for a church where I was youth pastor number five in seven years. Wow! Talk about that's a lot of turnover. Yeah, and I was that was longer than the guy before me. I lasted seventeen months, and longer than the one who came after me. And it was just a a classic church of hey, let's treat the youth pastor like shit until he goes away you know which is unfortunately happens way too often in, in that business yeah for sure for sure it's real. okay what else what do we got <laughs> you well um yeah. you. i guess we can get into the book then okay right all right if you want sure um so we have a tradition on this podcast that emily started of writing a one sentence summary of whatever we cover and so I wonder, Emily, did you get a chance to do a one-sentence summary for this book? I did. It was really hard because all of my one-sentence summaries that first came to mind were basically like, if Frankenstein wrote prayers. And I was like, I probably shouldn't use most of the words of the title in the summary. Um, <laughs> That's okay. So, so I, the one that I landed on was, when monsters wonder about God. Um, I like that. That's good. Yeah. If I take it Did into you... a sequel with vampires, I might just use that one. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, you could totally go through like the iconic like Dracula. Yeah, one of my the my one of the first thoughts I came up with that for a for a follow up was to do the the prayer book of Doctor Jekyll. 
and then you flip it, flip it over, and it's the prayer book of of Mr. Hyde. And then all of the verses couldn't be match those personalities. And uh, that is fantastic. That would be amazing. The one, the one I just today I've been kicking it around. I've been trying to do some research. I want to write an ecumenical guide to fighting vampires. So it would it would be you know the Hebrew and an imam and and a, you know a, a, yeah. uh, I lost the word for a Sikh clergy person all of them writing about how the how the vampires get fought within their particular faith you know so That's there was fantastic. a oh this is an aside but there was a a movie called Bordello of Blood Yes. You know it, okay? Yeah. But it, but at one point, the vampire, this sexy vampire madam, goes to bite the guy on the neck, and she recoils away because there's a cross, and then she realizes it was a star of David he had around his neck, and she goes, "Oh, I thought it was a cross," and she bites him anyway. Yeah. And I thought, well, what difference should that make? You know, it was, you know, what yeah. shouldn't shouldn't the vampire be afraid of all forms of religious iconography? So. I don't know. That's about as far as I got with it. But there has to be, there's a there's a story there somewhere. For sure. Yeah, I was also thinking. I mean, the vampire, how an ecumenical guide to fighting vampires is fantastic and makes me think of like the many movies we we covered in our fourth season, which was our vampire, no third season, third season which yeah. was our vampire season where we covered like the twilight books but we also covered interview with a vampire and dracula and all of them nice um but the one that popped to mind probably because we covered the movie last season was casper's book of prayer oh casper because i think casper the dead toddler yeah yeah Right. But like, what does that like? There's there's so much, especially for you, like of youth ministry and um, and like supernatural horror type stuff and prayer. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. I'm sure it could work somewhere in there. There's there's more there's more that can be done. And I just but I got a lot of time now. So if I just get it done by summer, we can have it out for next Halloween, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that'd be nice. So what gave you the idea then for the Frankenstein book of prayer? I I have always been been fascinated by by the character. The this uh like I said, I, I you know, by the time I was fifteen years old, I was six foot tall and I have a very large square head and you know, <laughs> got called Frankenstein many times as I was as I was growing up. But uh love the original movie that I first saw when I was a kid, you know, in, you know, local television in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, that took me to the original novel, which is nothing like the 1931 movie at all. But I loved, I just loved the character. And I, be, I started collecting, I have a number of, of Frankenstein posters, pictures, books, action figures, you know, that, you know, one of those classics, you know, and uh, uh, loved the DC Comics version of oh, yeah. of Frankenstein, where you had the Frankenstein monster meeting Batman, which was which was incredibly deep, you know, and I, and I loved it, and I saw it. that combined with when I started working for the Episcopal Church in Ohio, which I was with them for five years, uh, I came to love the Book of Common Prayer. 
and, and I love prayer books, regardless of denomination or regardless of religion. Even I, I like the the the. I'm a tactile person, so I like to have a book, a hymnal, or whatever. You know, don't project it up on the screen. I want to have the book, the hymnal in my hands because it, you know, like albums. I like having a, there's a collection, but I like having albums in my hand when I listen to music, that kind of thing. So I like a prayer book and I like Frankenstein. And one day it was just like, you can make this work. So I just started writing a few and I sent them to a publisher who had done some more of my stuff. And he said, give me a book. It's like, okay, yes, I can. So that's where that came from. That's awesome. I have, you can't see it because my bookshelves are behind the camera, but I have my own like set of prayer books Yeah. Um, on my shelf that's like right here on the top shelf too. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like there's something about having, and I think we'll probably get into this more. There's something about having like words for prayers yes. that gives us space to name stuff we otherwise might not feel comfortable with. Yes. And I think Frankenstein's book of prayer as the Frankenstein book of prayer especially does because Frankenstein has some questions for God. Yes. And that's a like, yeah, I just love that part. Thank you. And I mean, I'm a historian, historian, uh, working on my PhD and stuff. So one of the things I always keep it fresh in mind is just knowing the amount of people, people coming over to this country from Europe and the one book that they would almost always have, what is it, a Bible, believe it or not, but it's usually either a hymnal or a book of prayer from mm. their, whatever denomination they're um, a part of. So I just mm -hmm. think that's such a fascinating subject, and I agree 100%. But one of the cool things we hope to, like we, Emily and I, are going to be doing this podcast forever just because there's so much out <laughs> there we want to cover. And one of the ideas for our season we have... Um, that we want to do one of these years is uh, to do a series just on Frankenstein, since there are so many different adaptations and creative ways of running with the story. And with all of the abundance of media out there, and you talked about a few, including DC's Frankenstein, do you have... And the monsters. Yeah, the monsters. Uh, They're my... Not favorites. the new one. The, the, the oh, Rob, the Rob Zombie, Zombie one. directed one. Yeah. Th that was... I don't know if I've seen that one. I mean the one when I grew oh, when yeah. I was growing up. Yeah. Herman yeah. Munster. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fred Gwynn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one I loved. But uh, do you have a particular favorite adaptation of Frankenstein? Uh, I I I adore Boris Karloff. I love the the 1931. But and and part of that is like you know like you having your loving your first doctor. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Tom yeah. Baker is my doctor because that was the first one I, I came to know and all the others are compared by him. And the first Frankenstein that I remember uh, a scene was Boris Karloff in, 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 the, in the old black and white classic movie. Uh, uh, I love Fred Gwynn as, as Herman and uh, not a big fan of, of Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein movie, you know, it was Mary, he even called it Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but it had nothing like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein whatsoever. Yeah. It's like, wait, wait, that's not in the book. Why are you? Uh. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to go that far yeah. to like make it that connected to the book, you got to make, make an effort, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Plus, he got to, he like ran around without a shirt on the whole, half the movie. It's like, <laughs> okay, real, Kenneth, we real we get it. You got pecs now. Now it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. I think that's I think that's why I love Herman Munster because that was my introduction to Frankenstein. That was the first time I ever yeah. encountered Frankenstein. Pace, do you have a favorite? Uh, I would also. So I've told this story before about little pace i think i was 12 or 13 going to the classic universal monsters movie camp as a kid where we wow just went, it was just something like in my local community college had these camp kids uh these camps for kids that are like basically day camps and this particular one was centered around the universal months uh classic monsters and so we watched pretty much all of them uh all of at least the original in the franchise yeah. franchises and so that's the first time i saw um frankenstein and and it was the 1931 film with forrest karloff and that j and i think that was actually the first movie we saw as part of that camp and that one just has always out of all of them perhaps tied with 1931's dracula uh, made the most lasting impression for me so I, for me it'd be the same uh 1931 adaptation but i yeah. also love the <laughs> appearance of boris Karloff as kind of Frankenstein in Arsenic and Old Lace, if you're familiar with. Yes. That. Okay. Good one. So that's another. That's another little uh, appearance of the character, kind of that I enjoy. Somewhere, I I just had it out earlier today. I had there's a someone released the 1931. I think it was Dracula with Bela Lugosi, but with a new soundtrack. That was written by yeah. Philip Glass, yeah, and it, it and performed by Kronos Quartet, who is if you like any kind of classical oddness, Kronos, and it it's an excellent version of just watching that movie with new music. It's very cool. Yeah, I th I forget which version we watched. We watched, I mean, we watched Bela Lugosi's, but we watched it... the original. But that was okay. something that we had talked about. Was maybe in a future season for either movie commentary or something doing the 1931 spanish language version and also possibly mm. the philip glass version yeah so. yeah that would be really cool. yeah yep. um and i made the joke about summoning shelly i kind of wish we could because her novel is so deeply theological as well and so um, in your introduction to Frank's line book of, of prayer, you kind of mentioned being inspired by both the movie and the book and stuff. And I really wonder like what kind of those theological themes resonate with you and perhaps made it into the book from Shelley's original. Um, I, I think one of the biggest and, and part of this goes back to working in youth ministry is, is the creature is just looking for love. You're looking for love. You're looking to be accepted, and you don't have any idea who you are at the moment, you know. And there's there's stuff in in the book about in my book. It very, I had the idea that some of those parts that are put together to make the creature would they have memories of where they had been previously? Is there is there you know, the creature recognizes his hands are not the hands of a laborer. You know, was he a musician? Was he a, a, an artist? Why? And and does he remember where do the hands remember where they came from? And do the eyes remember seeing a sunset? You know, even though these are not my eyes, these are somebody else's eyes. 
do they remember what it was like to be alive? And are they angry about it, about being here now on me instead of somewhere else? But the idea of finding who you are and looking to be accepted, I think is a universal part of the pun idea in, in any faith, I think, or any person who's, who's trying, who's growing up now, I'm looking to be accepted and I want love and, and redemption and forgiveness and all those things that we're all looking for. I, yeah, I loved the way that you created Frankenstein to have not the like tangible concrete memory but the like physical memory of the sunset of the different things that he does where he's like oh I clearly some part of me has done this before has been here before so he doesn't remember the thing which makes sense because presumably his brain is not all of these body parts brain but he he still remembers in a different sense. And I that think body yeah. memory, I love it. Yeah. Physical, physical yeah. memory of, of, uh, what's, what's the word, um, like muscle memory. I, mm-hmm. I, my, your body can, can function and do the things, you know, because you're of muscle memory, but if there's nothing to com- combat, he wouldn't have a childhood. He wouldn't know, have any sense of, and part of that is that the, going back to, you know, what would his version or his thoughts on creator or father, you know, what do these words mean to somebody who never understood what those things were? And yet we ask, we ask people to say, okay, pray to our father in heaven. Well, what if, what if my only concept of father is the guy who beat me when I was a child or ran out or something like that? How, how can, how can love still be there with, with that idea? And um. I think your years at, in youth ministry has just made you like so keenly aware of a lot of these wrestlings and how that carries over into the book as well. I love that. And um, something else, just because I anticipate. Yeah, one of the things I want to say before I can just anticipate the masses of angry emails we get. Yes, we do know that Vic Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster are two different things. But I love in this book how you kind of tie the two together, that he really is mm-hmm. Frankenstein in a sense, even if that's because he has no name. Well, and that's kind of the family name he has inherited through better or worse. What else are you going to call yourself in, in that situation? He, I mean, Shelley doesn't give him a name, but but if he's a thinking, reasoning, rational being he's going to want something so i take my father's name which is i am frankenstein you know so and yes there are people no it's the creature you know a lot of people make that mistake it's like just just go with it okay (laughs) frankenstein is the monster deal with it and the the book gives a clear like understanding that frankenstein is the creator of the monster so it's like okay you can say (laughs) oh i made a mistake but actually like you explicitly spell out how you got to that place this is earth father my earth father is frankenstein and i will take that name you know so he calls himself frankenstein yeah i also the way that frankenstein kind of talks about himself and his different parts reminded me of one of the 
first dystopia, young adult dystopia series that I read called It's the Unwind series by Neil Shusterman. I don't know. Um, but it's it's they call it an unwind dystology, but it's a series of sci-fi novels. And the idea is your parents, when you before you get to the age of 13, your parents can like retroactively say, oh, we shouldn't have done this. And then you get taken to this place and your body basically gets taken apart to be repurposed for people who are alive so that they like if they lost an eye or if they lost hands, they can have them replaced. And so it's it's. Jeez, I thought my it's parents really were tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like it's it's a like intense, but um, it has those similarities of like, but from the perspective of the people who are being or going to be unwound, and so like, what does what is their perspective of going into another person? And then there's one of them that is create a person who's created from all these different people as like the ideal right like the musician's hands and the like strength of this person and all of that but yeah it's a really i hadn't thought of it in a long time but it definitely ties into frankenstein's Hmm. that's cool yeah um so in the other piece right of like wanting a name and and having cognitive functions and thinking in the preface Father McCandless states that he knows that Frankenstein's monster has a soul. And right now we're in this like particular point in time where like artificial intelligence is like a thing. We don't actually like label everything that is artificial intelligence as artificial intelligence. And we don't like, and, and we label some stuff that's not as, that's not artificial intelligence as artificial intelligence, but it's always a thing that we are obsessed with as humans. And I wonder like how you navigated the attribution of intelligence and souls and those things to something that is created by a human, not created by like, and, and you, mm-hmm. I think you do it really well in the book. Thank so you. I, I, I think, I believe all, all living things have a soul, you know, and, and, Artificial intelligence. I have, I have yet to see anything of artificial intelligence like anything that. How do I say this? I have never heard music created by artificial intelligence that can make me cry. But there are are pieces of of music by Beethoven or by you know the Beatles or or by whomever who yeah. can bring me to tears and. Uh, I haven't read anything. I just finished a, a, a British spy series of of novels, and one of my favorite characters got killed off in book number eight. And I, I literally had to put the book down and walk away for a while because it was it was that real to me. And I know it was fiction, and I know I've written stuff where. I've had people come up and say, you know, you made me cry when you did that or wrote that. And I, and you think, yes, that's what's supposed to happen. It's one of those, one of those cruel writer things where if I can bring you to the brink of tears or even make you openly weep as you're reading something, that's, you know, that's, that's the soul of the piece that you're working on. I haven't seen anything from artificial intelligence that has been able to make me 
do that. You, you know, a, a machine can play, can play a piece by Bach, but Yo-Yo Ma is the one who can make me stop and just sit and breathe until it's over. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I think soul is something that belongs to the living. And if it's not living, then it, there's no, there's no soul there. But in the, in the case of Frankenstein, he is a living, breathing being. So he has a soul. Now, how do we explain that? Who knows? We'll have, you have to ask God when you meet him. Yeah. 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 So, um, the other, so the other piece that goes with that is this awareness that Frankenstein has and the like, particularly an emotional awareness and an emotional tele- intelligence that he demonstrates particularly with respect to other humans. Like he knows how they're feeling. He knows what they're thinking. And it's not that he has like ESP, but I'm curious like how how you came to that deep of knowledge because it makes sense to me as someone who's who knows lots of people who have been traumatized and who have survived trauma and like that deep connection and awareness of other people, but I'm curious, like, how you decided that that was going to be part of what the monster known as Frankenstein. I I think a lot of it was trying to put myself into that situation, the, or the idea of of feeling isolated, at, at, you know, growing up or or as a kid who, you know, all I know about family occurs on the other side of this wooden wall because he's literally hiding away from the world, but he can put his ear to the wall and listen to a family live their lives on the other mm-hmm. side of the wall. And there's a picture in the in the book. There's a, only a few pictures, but I, one that's just literally a piece of wood. And it's like, this is what you would look at. This is what you would see. This is but you would mm-hmm. try to absorb, can you get the vibrations of the love or the anger or the worry or whatever, the parents, any of that on the other side of this wall? How would you, how would you deal with that? And, and uh, the, the idea of, of listening, walking through a city, covering himself with the cloak and being amongst people, knowing that you can't do this or people would run away in revulsion and terror. So you're just part of them and absorbing what, what the vibrations of the people around you, the emotional, mm-hmm. I like the phrase emotional intelligence. That, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Um, and one question that we started the season asking all of our guests uh is just the simple question (laughs) real simple of (laughs) what is horror and the reason i think this is such a relevant question for this book in particular is because mary shelley is often called like the mother of science fiction or speculative fiction and her book for some reason isn't really considered horror even though a lot of people i think would argue rightly that it's also kind of gothic horror in a sense and then mm-hmm. you get the Frankenstein 1931 movie, and that's horror, not sci-fi. And so it's like this single story kind of is defying genres. And I feel like horror itself is like that. It's a genre that, I mean, it is genre-defying. And so we have an expansive definition of horror here. We say anything can be horror if you want it to be. But I'm curious, though, how do you define horror? I Horror is, if you can lead me into a a 
dark place where I don't know what's about to happen. And, you know, you know, there, you allow your imagination to know things in the dark that aren't there in the light or there's nothing. uh, There's a line. I can't, ah, there's a line somewhere about there's nothing there in the dark that wasn't there in the light. And the response to that line in the movie is, yeah, that's what scares me. Uh, you know, but, but I, I think horror is anything that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and not give you any clue that we're going to put you back, you know. And so a good I love a good old ghost story. I love ghost stories. I'm not big on, you know, I grew up in the 80s when the slasher movies all started. I we used to go to the drive in movie where you could have all night long, dusk till dawn, <laughs> slasher marathons. Yeah. And my buddies and I would take lawn chairs and just sit in the front row and so we could watch these mm-hmm. horrible, horrible slasher blood and gore <laughs> and guts and yeah. you know, brains in your lap type horror. But they didn't scare me that like like the movie Halloween did. Halloween scared you and it was broad daylight because you yeah. just you were scared for somebody else, which is on Stephen King's list of top 10 things that scare people. There's a fear of others and fear for others. It's like, I know these people and someone's about to get, you know, an ax in the face and you're trying to don't, don't go in there. There's a guy in there with an ax. Can't you tell that? I know that. Why don't you know that? I think horror is fear for others. Uh, Not, not torture. That's, that's not scary to me. That's not what I would call a horror movie. That's just, gore for gore's sake but you know if you whatever your definition of horror is you know go for it i, I that's part of why i like the black and white stuff still you know be, it's it's that that makes you get a little closer to the screen you know mm-hmm. like you're getting really what's he gonna do you know and yeah. the mystery of black and white is is part of what i like too yeah and also just the like advent of practical effects and they're still trying things out and it like it even though so much of it doesn't stand up anymore it's still just so like fascinating and where you're like you're saying you're leaning in to see it because it's just like what is this what's happening yeah and then boo (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i love it um something else too is we define we are a very queer podcast we define horror as queer and um i know there has been a lot of scholarly work, especially in the past 20 years or so, about um, reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein through a queer lens and understanding the character Frankenstein as queer in a way that is ex- um, not just like sexuality, human sexuality, or anything like that. It's very clear he wants a Franken bride of some sort, and we get that in the second yeah. film, <laughs> too. But like just this notion of like being on the margins of society, being forced into that position and that kind of aspect of queerness and strangeness and weirdness and so yeah i I think that comes through in your writing of that too yeah there's a there's a certain amount of i am not me i am not man i am men or Mm -hmm. and do does the creature refer get to refer to himself as they because there's so many different parts in him from so many different people. And if all of them are alive in there somewhere with memories, you know, what are they going through? And, but to think of myself as they, because there's so much of me that, that is more than just one person. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way of 
of of navigating it and of of kind of poking at some of the assumptions that we have around around humanity around gender around queerness yeah. all of that and it, and it feels very trinitarian right like the the simultaneously one and yet many the three beings that make up god three. dancing yeah. around each other yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh well i just want to again say just how great of a book this is i'm encouraging all of our listeners to go out get your copy um yes. we'll have it linked in the show notes as well but uh it's a short read but like such a profound read like i mm -hmm. found myself having to stop multiple times to just kind of think and i think that's such such a great aspect of thank book, you so thank you for that yeah thank you so much i really I appreciate the opportunity yeah i will also echoing pace highly recommend and i think part of what struck me as so powerful in the book is the places where i was like this resonates as a queer person this resonates as someone who like thinking about if your earth father is not a kind and loving and caring person what like there is a way in which frankenstein gives voice to prayers that we don't always hold space for in church communities mm -hmm. and in religious communities very much too i mean the only spoiler i will give is just the very first word in here is the first prayer and just a single word and how much that captures in the story of frankenstein and also theology oh. what what's the word i got <laughs> no what? i'm like looking at I my know, own I book like, going, wait yeah. i gotta what? go find it oh yeah all the right word is got father. father father with the question mark yes. like father yeah, you know, that's it. the that's the entire prayer. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, thank you again for joining us, uh, Steve. This has been so fun. Uh, where can our listeners find you? And do you have any like social media handles, any upcoming projects you want to shout out? All of that yeah. stuff. Uh, the Frankenstein Book of Prayer has its own uh, Twitter and Instagram page that you can Ooh. find it there. Uh, follow the book of or the frankenstein book of prayer on amazon it'll take you right there uh any any of those places or find me on facebook just steve case and, and like me i'll like you back uh as for uh for upcoming projects i if if this works then i would love to to see what else you know i could keep exploring the monsters and and horror uh section of of, of literature uh other books, I have a book out there on grief, out in, which is doing pretty well, uh, which is called "Fuck Death," which is which is a, a book for those who are sick and tired of, of pity and condolence and all yeah. those other horrible things that go along with with losing somebody. Uh, that title was from a, a, one of my students who lost both parents in two years, oh, geez, yeah. you know, so, you know, having her being able to come into my office and just say, fuck this. It, it was yeah. so liberating for her that I took that inspiration and put that into a book so that, you know, you people could find their way out of the grief process, you know, and then, you know, if you don't want to, if you're in need of a good biblical fart joke, I'm the guy. <laughs> it's all there. It's all there on Amazon. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, our next episode then is our Halloween special, which is going to be an extra long episode on The Exorcist celebrating 50 years of that film. And we'll also be talking about the original novel by William Peter Blatty, uh, 
with all with special guest TJ Tranchel, who was on for our Twilight episode, and we got into some uh, topics around Stephanie Myers, like Mormon and LDS theology with that. But the mm-hmm. other really cool thing about TJ Tranchel is he has written exorcism books. And so uh, it's going to be really cool to have this conversation. And then we return to Star Wars uh, with us f- with our next Star Wars book, um, From a Certain Point of View, Empire Strikes Back, and From a Certain Bo- Point of View, Return of the Jedi in November and December, respectively. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Uh, that's it for our show then. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive video of this episode, movie commentary episodes, Bluetooth episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash church. It's only $5 to sign up, so much cheaper than... Well, I already used the grave robbing one in the beginning. I have to think of a different one. Much <laughs> I mean, m- much cheaper than hiring and traveling to track down the monster that you create from the grave robbing. Yes, there you go. Much cheaper than that. <laughs> Booking a charter ship into the Arctic. Yep. So um, follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church and Twitter H-N-A-C-P-O-D. And Blue Sky. And Blue Sky, yes. New to Blue Sky. For all the latest updates about upcoming films, news and other announcements until next time who's the monster is it frankenstein or is it frankenstein's monster or is it both Mm. or is it neither who knows Mm. (laughs) (laughs) bye